listening to the Evolution Exchange Podcast UK, a melting pot of ideas and inspiration shared by some of the most successful technical leaders in the UK. I'm Rob Wall. I help connect businesses with technical talent, and today I'm your host. Hello and welcome to another instalment of the Evolution Exchange Podcast. Today I'm joined by Liz Banbury, Bronwyn Boyle, Jim Woodcock and James Blake to discuss the challenges of being a CISO. Before we delve into the topic, uh, let's work our way around the room with some introductions. Uh, Liz, do you want to kick things off? Yeah, thanks, Rob. So I'm Liz Banbury, Chief Information Security Officer at Hiscox Insurance. Um, my first, uh, it's my first job outside insurance, uh, where I've previously spent eight, around 18, 19 years in banking. Thanks, Liz. Come to you, Robin. Uh, hi folks, Bronwyn Boyle. I'm the Chief Information Security Officer at Mambu. Uh, we're a banking as a service uh, digital platform um, and my bank background is primarily uh, FS and technology. Thanks. Cheers Bronwyn. And Jim? Yeah, hi Jim Woodcock. So I'm um, Chief Information Security Officer at uh, Phoenix Consulting. Uh, I also head up their um, cybersecurity uh, consulting team. Um, it's my first um, first time actually in, in consulting. I've actually spent 35 years working in industry in financial services uh, across um, retail banking, uh, investment banking uh, and uh, various in insurance organisations. Thank you, Jim. And finally, James. Excellent. It sounds like we've all got similar things in common. So uh, my name's James Blake. I'm the Field Chief Information Security Officer for a cyber resiliency company called Rubric but previously was the head of cyber transformation at JP Morgan Chase uh, and used to work in consulting, building socks for companies, uh, well, world's largest tech company, world's largest software company, world's largest, um, uh, uh, yeah, uh, consultancy, things like that. So, yeah. Stuff. Thanks, James. Okay, so now we're all introduced. Let's move on to the topic. Um, so you all have a question or statement around the challenges of being a CISO. As usual, I'll work more around the room, uh, asking you each of you to pose your question and the reasons behind it. Uh, each of you have an opportunity to give your take on the situation. Um, and yeah, so let's get started with Bronwyn. Let's pose your question. Um, so um, the first question um, I was uh, thinking of asking is around um, how we build organizational wide security capabilities. Um, goes to the panel. Yeah, good stuff. And Jim, do you want to pick that one up first? Yeah, 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 certainly. I, I mean, I, I think all security capabilities need, need to be considered to be organisation-wide. Um, you know, when, when we think when we think about cyber security, um, you, know, you can't view it as being an IT problem. I think historically, uh, and, and, and even actually, you know, nowadays some firms do do view things that way, but ultimately cyber security is a business problem uh, and, and it requires a business response. Now, some, some of that Business response is actually yeah, sponsored activities in IT, um, but yeah, a lot of it is behaviours outside of IT. Um, I, I think probably that yeah, one, one of the one of the key things in in terms of embedding security capabilities across the organisation is helping folk really understand why um, we need to do something. Yeah, that that question why is is, is pretty key, um, and yeah, the answer to that why question is probably going to be different depending on who you're talking to, what their role is in the organisation. So encounter folk that uh, you yeah, have got the mindset um, that um, yeah, we've always done it that way and nothing bad's happened. Um, and they're, they're the kind of really dangerous people um, because you always end, you know, you always kind of end that nothing bad has happened with a yet. 
Um, and, and yeah, and, and in, in some some kind of perverse way, you are kind of almost hoping that something bad happens just so they can realise, you know, just just how, how dangerous that, uh, that that kind of mindset is. Um, I think I think one of the other uh, kind of challenges um, that, that CISOL faces where, where you've got a, a large organization where within the organization there are different appetites to risk as well. Um, so, you know, you, you kind of run into a position where there may be um, activities that some folk want to do that others think are unsafe, um, but you're, you're only kind of as strong as your as your weakest link when it comes to your overall cybersecurity posture. Um, so I think there is something to be said for thinking about thinking along the lines of um, guide rails and guidelines um, so so you know we, within guidelines people can operate different appetites for risk um, but there are guide rails that you just can't you can't uh, deviate from stuff thank you Jim and Liz do you want to add your thoughts on that um, yes definitely so uh, Jim I really kind of echo what you say and I, I think and I totally agree with it. I think how you go about it, though, might differ between organisations and it depends on their level of maturity and where they sit. So for me, it's a combination of education, a little bit of hearts and minds as well. And as you rightly point out, um, understanding in that education the importance of why they need to do X, Y and Z, what the risk is of not doing it, X, Y and Z, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, there's also a little bit in that education on accountability, so accountability and responsibility. And if you start um, saying, you know, to the business particularly, um, who who making it clear to them who is uh, the owners of information, who is or are the owners of systems, then they and if they say they are the owners, which they are, then you would need to point out to them that they're then accountable for securing their information and systems. In security, we can only provide, as you say, the guardrails, that minimum baseline of security. We can hold their hands a bit, but ultimately they're still accountable for securing their information. Um, I think I think thirdly, um, a little bit uh, on organisational security comes down to all staff as well. That comes back to your security and uh, awareness kind of elements. All staff also, also need to understand that they are individually accountable for information as well and also have to understand how to handle the information that they use according to the criticality of it. And that's an ongoing continuous process. Thanks, Liz. Great stuff. And James, do you want to add anything to add to that? Excellent. I mean, um, I'm going to echo a lot of the comments that have have been made before. Uh, the only thing that I'd add is, in, in my experience, when I used to go into these organisations, I was being brought in as a consultant to build the kind of security operations capabilities there. We really had to understand the structure of the organisation and the business of the organisation. What services, what products does it deliver? Or in, in cases of government, you know, uh, what services does it provide for its citizens? And it was quite shocking the amount of people that just didn't know. You know, the security department was the department that said no, that as far as everyone was concerned in the rest of the business that sat in the basement and issued edicts and never really came out to talk to anyone um, to really understand what they were doing. And when we did talk to them, you know, we were having conversations about PEBCAC, you know, problem exists between chair and keyboard and these users of the problems. No, those users are the people that are actually bringing in revenue and providing services 
you know, to the organization, whereas we're a cost center, right? So I think one of the biggest challenges about building that, that approach is A, security leaders need to be business leaders, especially as a CISO. Um, our role is more up and out than it is down and in. You know, we hire smart people that understand that down and in and operational management, at least in, you know, medium to, to large organizations. Um, and I think, you know, that, that that is the challenge that we don't really, in a lot of instances, understand our services that we're providing, all the assets that are providing those services, yet we're expecting us, the business to listen to us when we advise them about that business. There's often this disconnect between what we're talking about. And I mean, ultimately, you know, after running assessments in like 220 of the largest orgs in the world, you know, we're looking at CMMI scales, zero, they're not doing something, one, they're doing something ad hoc, different every time, two, they're doing something documented, three, metrics, four, using metrics, five, quantitative metrics. And, you know, 220 of the largest orgs in the world, somewhere between 1.2, like CMMI scale, between ad hoc and documented. And then 10 years later, they doubled their spending on cybersecurity and it's only gone up 6%, the operational capability in these companies. We're doing things wrong, right? So we keep buying kit, we keep buying toys, trying to protect everything, building moats uh, wider, walls higher, and not really solving the problems of the business, you know? And, and I think, that's how we build the culture. We really position ourselves as peers. We stop getting in the way of the business, having agility and trying to deliver services because it's their decision. But we need to advise them on the risk. But in order to advise them, we need to understand our assets and our services. And I think that's where most CISOs uh, fall down. A very long answer, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thanks, Jim. Thanks a lot. Um, Roman, anything to add? I think what great responses, uh, re really good insights. And, you know, I think the, the, the really resonant theme is that, that that aspect of being a business enabler. Um, and that really helps kind of tap into the security capabilities that are dispersed across the organization and get everybody else reinforcing security messaging and advocating for security causes, which is a great outcome when you can achieve it. Thanks, Brahma. Has anyone have anything further to add? Yeah, I, th I think Robert, one thing I would, uh, an observation I, I would add is, is that certainly within um, kind of financial services, banking and insurance, there's been a big push for uh, operational resilience and, and for firms to really, really take a look at mapping their business services to processes uh, and then to people, you know, technology and data. And then, and then, when, then when you play the cyber threats uh, kind, of, kind of into uh, the cyber risk, it, in, into yeah, particularly the people, tech and, and data, really kind of helps the business un understand you know, what level of risk they face. Um, and you know, to, to, to Liz's point, then you know, we, we can educate them in their role in actually making sure that stuff is protected. And um, yeah, I still come back, back to the point, point that I make that e even during those conversations, you still get kind of blank looks at people when you talk about securing data. And they look at you and they go, well, isn't that an IT problem? <laughs> you go, no, it's your data. <laughs> it's it's your data. You have a role to play in this. We give you the tools, but at the end of the day, you guys you guys kind of need to need to operate them. Stuff. Thanks, Jim. Fantastic. Okay, well, uh, we'll stay with you, Jim. Actually, come to you for your for your next uh, next point you'd like to raise. Yeah. Uh, thanks, thanks, Robert. Um, so. Yeah, my, my my question is really about corporate structure and, and where where the CISO um, or 
Chief Information Security Officer, because we, we've always used the long hand on this call. So where the Chief Information Security Officer actually sits in the organisation. Uh, and I think my observation would be that, um, that the, the textbook would say it's into the COO. Um, real life, um, more often than not, you find CISOs reporting into the CIO. Um, but again, you know, a lot of visionaries will say that actually the, you know, the, the CISO in a lot of organisations should be on the board and reporting into the CEO. Um, so really interested in, in people's perspectives on that. So come to you first, James, you've got a big smile on your face. <laughs> <laughs> well, but I've had various reporting lines in various CISO roles. Um, so I've reported into a CIO, I've reported into a CFO, and I've reported into a COO and directly to the board. So I'm old, um, so I've had various uh, CISO roles. Um, they all have pros and cons, and they were very different organizations. So if I take my, my cyber transformation role at, at JP Morgan, um, I reported into the, the CISO there for that, because it's a very regulated, very structured, very large, third of a million employees, 69 countries of operation you know, four business units, all with their own security function. And it made sense, right, to, to align with them. But then I look at my CISO role at Mimecast, you know, fly by the seat of the pants, you know, fast growing, we're growing 1,700% uh, year on year. So, you know, standing up data centers on a monthly perspective. And my role there was a dotted line to the chief technology officer who was developing the new technology because I needed to make sure it was secure, you know, as we were driving our CICD continual deployment pipeline. Uh, and then later, as the business matured and there was less, um, less change in the business, it then moved to the COO, which was very good because we were an operational function of the business. You know, risk management should be across all operations. And you mentioned the... PRA and Bank of England guidance earlier on operational resiliency. And that's a good place to sit. But I think it depends on the structure of the organization. Um, the one thing that I would have, the least mature organizations I saw at those 220 assessments were the one where they reported into the CIO. So, um, you know, they were seen as the technology, they saw technology solutions, the technology problems. They took money away from the uh, CIO budget, and they also were in direct conflict of interest sometimes with the CIO. But looking at a lot of the CISOs that I've engaged with as peers over the last, you know, present company accepted, of course, um, but over the last 10, 15 years, I would say a lot of them didn't deserve to sit on a board because they were technologists talking about technology problems because the CIO had hired in their own um, kind of image, you know, they hired another technologist because that's what they understood. Thanks, James. Your thoughts, Liz? Um, yeah, thanks. Thanks, James. That's really interesting. Um, this is actually my first role as a CISO, and I do report into the CIO. Um, and as far as I can tell so far, it's working very well. Um, he did not employ a technologist. He employed a cybersecurity um, SME and um, he's very supportive of InfoSec as its own separate function within IT as the overall structure. Well, that's how I, I, I feel right now and it's working well. I, I was very interested in your point, though, about um, in your experience about how the changing of those dynamics 
is according to the maturity of the organization. And InfoSec um, here is in a really good place. But what I'm trying to do right now is get it up to that next level of maturity. And when you're talking about the CMI and the one, two, three, four, five, we're definitely not at a one or two. We're probably kind of um, at a three, but I'm wanting to segment that three and um, put in put in those next steps, right? So I was very interested to hear about once you're at that level of maturity that you would like to aim for and you've got those bits in place, does that model still make sense? I can't answer now for my current position, but I, I, I think it's a really interesting point from your observations. Yeah, I think just, just, just to add to that, um, you know, I, I would say that's more historical, my view on CIOs um, and the reporting lines, because what I'm starting to see is a new breed of very operationally focused CISOs, right? So, so historically, yeah. you know, when I've worked on automation, for instance, I've had people come to me and say, can you automate my workflow? And we say, well, what's your workflow? Well, we don't have a process. Well, we're not going to automate it. No matter what any vendor tells you, you can't automate a process that doesn't exist. And I think, you know, we are now moving away from those CISOs that want to buy silver bullets to solve a problem. And they're trying to consolidate their controls, focus on process, focus on continual improvement instead of right. big bang transformation projects. And, and I think, you know, hopefully it sounds like you're one of those CISOs. And um, so, you know, historically, we've had that kind of CIO and CISO relationship, but I am seeing it change because obviously I deal with, you know, 10, 20 CISOs a week. Well, I'm definitely relating to your former description than the latter. <laughs> <laughs> Great stuff. And Bronwyn, your thoughts? Yeah, um, really interesting. And I'm smiling away because I've, I've I've been in a few of the situations touched on. I mean, I, I've, I've reported to um, actually CTOs um, in the past. And, and James, I loved your your dotted line because I think that can work quite well. And um, the hard line, as you'd expect, can can in results in some of that kind of conflict position or, you know, the allocation of funding can be a wee bit of a challenge. Um, I've had some great outcomes reporting to CROs because I think, again, you're you're very clearly um, speaking in the language of risk. You can get a, a great line into the into the overall enterprise risk management framework and really consolidate your messaging. Um, but I'm, I'm also delighted to see, as we've as we've touched on, I mean, as Jim's mentioned that, you know, there are, you know, more and more organizations now putting CISO roles on on boards in, in their own right. And indeed, I mean, what I'm seeing in, in a lot of the fintech industry where, you know, particularly with VC funding and, and kind of investor investor concerns, it's cyber risk is very high on their on their portfolio risk. And it's it's a very it's a very critical topic for them. And they're increasingly advocating for that board level representation. Um, and it does really mean that, you know, it, you know, you can really attest to the fact that security is fully embedded in the DNA of the organization and all the strategic decisioning thereof, and that you really are transitioning into kind of business leadership. That's great, thanks. Anything further to add? Yeah, I, I think, you know, given it's me that kind of, kind of posed the question, Rob, I, I think, um, you know, by, by and large, I'm, I'm pretty much in agreement with um, with, with everything that, that, that folk have said. I think what James has said really, really did resonate with me. So I've been a, um, a CISO reporting into CIO in an organisation that was trying to break out of that um, kind of CMMI uh, one slash two level in, in, into three. And actually being into the CIO, being able to actually influence a lot of that technology change, you know, very directly is really useful. Um, 
so so if you've got a lot of um, kind of gaps in your control framework where the controls aren't you know kind of designed effectively then then that's that's kind of great when you get to the, to the stage where your controls are designed effectively but they're maybe not operating quite effectively the dynamic then really changes um because all of a sudden you know you, you're not down to driving um you know project activities you're actually down to driving kind of bau stuff and yeah, you know, you're then in that very difficult situation in that actually a lot of that BAU stuff is operated by the CIO's people. So if you if you kind of raise your hand and say, you know, these guys aren't doing their jobs properly, you're kind of throwing your boss under the bus. <laughs> so it, kind of, it, it, do, it does put you in a, in a difficult situation. So I think your point about, you know, cyber maturity is quite, it, it is, a, is a telling one. When you get to a certain level of maturity, then you, know, you, you may find yourself a little bit compromised still being to the CIO. I guess, I guess Liz, that may be different in, in your organization, but maybe time will tell. I'll let you know. <laughs> the thing that I've really seen that's cutting the wheat from the chaff is um, the ransomware. Right? Traditionally, as CISOs, apart from denial of service attacks, all we've really faced is secondary losses, reputational damage, um, litigation potentially, and regulatory fines. Those were the only losses really we were responsible for, and they were largely a sunk cost. What I mean by that is once we had a breach, those things really didn't get worse. If we really cocked up the breach response, maybe reputation got damaged a bit more, a la talk talk, uh, or someone like that. But really, you know, the damage was done already and we could leisurely take our time, you know, with, with these losses that we had. And I think ransomware has changed that because now ransomware, we are actually responsible for a P1 issue with the business unable to make money or deliver services to its customers. And now it's going back to uh, the point earlier, it's actually an operational resilience issue, right? And this expectation that maybe we've set by you know, promising all these uh, things from the solutions that we've deployed and the average enterprise has 130 products in it, maybe we've set this expectation that we will stop everything. And then ransomware suddenly comes along and we're responsible for P1s and I think it's then it's those CISOs that take ownership and have engaged with the business are the ones that have actually built resilience and the ones that just focused on building infrastructure while everyone else, IT is moving it to the cloud and putting more and more heads, more and more budget, more and more people in. They're the ones that really haven't delivered operational resilience. So I think it's interesting that ransomware is, is kind of really focusing on the business elements of that um, CISO role. Stuff. Thanks, James. And we'll come to you for your question. You, uh... <laughs> well, it's going to be fairly obvious what my question is because it, it, <laughs> it, it's pretty clear what my view is on, on what a CISO role um, should entail, at least in a, um, a moderately large organization. Small and medium enterprises sometimes need someone that can wear um, a lot of hats. But, you know, what I'm what I'm asking about is the evolution of a CISO so that they become less of a technologist uh, and talking about what kit they can deploy and the move to actually engaging with the business. You know, what strategies do you deploy and what advice do you have um, to make that transition from, you know, maybe you've grown up, you've been a firewall admin, you've been a pen tester, everyone else left the organization and all of a sudden you're the CISO. Um, you know, what, what advice would you have for that person then migrating and, and engaging with the business? Thanks, James. Liz, do you want to pick that up? Yeah, sure. Um, I really like this point and it kind of segues nicely from the previous two questions and what we've been discussing. 
for me personally, I've just been thinking, you know, during this, I actually spend more time talking and building relationships with the business, the coups, the heads of function, than I do with my IT counterparts. The reason being is because coming a little bit back to where the CISO sits, uh, I, I'm preaching to the converted really within IT, right? Because as as we've just said, it's all the same resource and manager, and I'm preaching to the converted. Where I need to focus my attention is outwards to the business. How do I bring them on on board? How do I make them understand what we need to do? How do they? How do I get them to want to um, do what they what I think needs to be done? Right. So I spend a lot of time monthly and weekly building those relationships, um, bringing them in on to what we're doing. I've really put in place not only our own strategy, but an entire communication strategy on top of that. Right. Set up our own quarterly forum. We have information security working groups, information security privacy groups. Um, and, and and the folk really are starting to engage more and more, especially in the last few months where this communication strategy has played out. And this comes back to a little bit on the first point around how do you make security an organisation-wide uh, uh, concept, right? And one of our key strategic goals is to instil cyber culture. And what I mean by that is I do not just mean the all-staff mandatory training and education and awareness. I'm actually talking about the coups, the heads of function, the CEOs, etc., how they are brought on board, including the board. Now, I'm, I, I don't know, I think I'm quite fortunate in this position, going back to how I've said, you know, where we sit from a maturity perspective, um, the relationship seems to be working quite well, because I've managed to get myself in front of all the risk committees and to make that a regular occurrence and to get actual proper board time for those educational pieces, um, et cetera, et cetera. And this is, this is something that I did, you know, request right up front. Uh, because I think it's really important to have those relationships and have that engagement and for them to know who I am and what we're trying to do and why. Thanks, Liz. Jim, your thoughts? Yeah, thanks. So, so I think, James, the way you kind of positioned this one was was what, what advice would you give to um, yeah, somebody that's maybe come up through the technology route into a CISO role? And, and, and I think it's, it's just to completely forget uh, or, or, or kind of put out of your mind that cyber security risk is an IT risk because it's absolutely not. It is a first and foremost, it is a business risk. Um, and, and, th and you need to make sure, therefore, that your response actually begins with discussions with with, with the business. And, and I think, you know, a, a key thing for a, for, for a, new, a new CISO is to, is to think about their role as managing cyber risk to within the business risk appetite. So, so that doesn't mean um, you know, me necessarily measuring yourself by you know, CMMI. That's a, that's a useful metric. Uh, but there may be areas um, that you're happy to um, you know, have a high level of risk um, in, 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 in aspects uh, than others from a business perspective. Um, so that doesn't that doesn't exclude technology. Obviously, technology has a key role to play in a lot of uh, security, but yeah, as do our business folk, as, as do our people. Um, but I think that the, the danger, and I've seen this in, in a lot of organisations, is, is that where you work to manage cyber risk through building cyber maturity within IT, that is just the tail wagging the dog. Um, and, and ultimately, you, you may end up with something that's fantastic, but you know, your business is likely to turn around and say, well, yeah, that's great. That's not what I asked for. You're stopping me from doing this. 
Um, so I think I think that's yeah that, that's a, that's a really key um, kind of message for anybody coming into the role. Um, as I said, I think in, in um, financial services, banking, and insurance, we've been spoiled really with the ops res stuff that we've had come in. That that really would help somebody coming into the role understand what's important to the business. Um, and it'd be great to see that uh, kind of kind of in other in, in other areas as well. And Bronwyn, your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, um, I echo everything that's that that said. I mean, I think it's it's great to be talking to like-minded folks who are who are obviously very very keen advocates of the business side of cyber and uh, the importance of the CISO. And I think I think we have a really interesting nexus point to play in that interplay between the technology and and business parts of an organisation and how they work in harmony. Um, and 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 you know, to your point, Jim, I mean, I think I, I've been in or in in interesting discussions, shall we say, where um, assessing some of the security risks of technology projects has maybe highlighted that maybe those technology projects aren't necessarily in line with our business objectives and we needed to kind of rethink those. So I, I, I find it really a great opportunity to get kind of CISOs involved in business structure and business strategy decisions and then help to ensure that they're flowing down in a secure way into the into the technology and, and act as that kind of lacuna point to kind of bring the two together. Um, I think, uh, you know, it, we're all very um, much of the of the same mind that, you know, we, we, we recognize, you know, cyber hits every part of the business. And there are so many aspects of, you know, M&A strategies, outsourcing strategies, new product development, you know, all sorts of business decisions that require kind of security input and risk assessment from the outset. So having that business partnership, you know, taking the types of approach that Liz has adopted there with that, that, that kind of embedding a community uh, to help foster cyber representation and CISO representation presentation is a fantastic way to get that embedded and make sure that you know both technology and business teams are serving the, the overall organizational objectives. Thanks Robin. Anything further to add James? No no just nodding away. <laughs> <laughs> good stuff, so good all, stuff. All, all fantastic points I think it goes back to Jim's thing earlier you know three lines of defense don't try and secure everything help the business secure itself and uh, you know as Liz said help the business really understand its risks and be embedded and be that trusted advisor instead of the department that says no downstairs and, and tries to exert controls on the rest of the business and and this you know it's so refreshing to me having spent you know the the last kind of two decades talking to CISOs and and hearing exactly that, what product do I buy next quarter? This hamster wheel of, you know, let's do a risk assessment completely detached from threat intelligence and the actual people that understand adversaries without knowing anything about our assets. And then let's choose a control arbitrarily from framework of choice. Let's pocket, uh, sorry, do the RFP, proof of concept it, and then it's August. And we're back into the hamster wheel cycle next, of the next year uh, and just buying other products. and. Um, it's just so refreshing to see people focused on the business. I could die a happy I, man. I think, <laughs> I think, I think, um, I think the approach you outlined is, is is really the only way to get success, uh, particularly when it comes to the user engagement piece. That is that is so 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 important. Uh, and and I think you know if you're if you're from a technology background, it's it's very easy just to focus on the technology side. But then yeah yeah James, to your point, you you you'll then look at tooling to try and demonstrate that your users are maybe not where they need to be and oh, that's not my problem um but you although it's a bit of a trite cliche you, yeah there's a journey that you need to take people along and, and they absolutely need to follow that journey um if you just 
keep slamming people with um, you know phishing tests and and almost demonising them because they they fail them without giving them the appropriate support. Um, you you re you're really not going to achieve very much, other than yes, just really really upsetting combination people. Combination of combination of both. Mm. Couldn't agree with you more. That 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 phrase that's often used, you know, people are your weakest link. I'm like, yes, but you're also your greatest asset and your greatest advocate. So let's focus on exactly, that bit, shall yeah. we? <laughs> yeah, agreed. And I, I think that segues quite well into this uh, next point for, from Liz. So, can I give you a question? Yeah, it does. So, um, this this question is really something I thought about after looking at the previous three questions that you had submitted before me. And um, it's very simple in a way, and it's and it's really come from um, you know sitting, talking to a lot of people, going to a lot of conferences now, speaking at a lot of things, but also he hearing a lot of other people, and quite a lot of times, um, including interviews from my own jobs over the many years, and things that you get thrown into, you'll be t you'll suddenly be told, well, you're now the subject matter expert out of nowhere, right, without having any experience before. And I've always said, even now, I've said, no, actually, I'm not. I would never actually call myself that because it changes every day. You know, we've always got something different to face, however long or experienced we might be compared to others. And one of the things that I've had to learn, um, not easily, I might add, uh, because I am a bit of a talker, is really the art of actually just listening to everyone and I've been listening very intently to um, all the points that um, you have been brought up in this panel and um, and I've really kind of had to discipline myself to listen to my team listen to everyone else in the organization listen to other people's ideas um, outside the organization and in the wider industry and environment to get um, to pull in all the best of people's thoughts and ideas and to work out from there what uh, how I can kind of pull that in to what I need to do to provide the best job that I can to the organisation. Um, so I do call it an art because um, we're all quite, I think we're, we're all so busy in our jobs and in our lives. And if most, and if anyone is like me, your mind is just constantly rushing 24 to the 7 and it's actually quite hard to focus on one thing without your mind already rushing to the next activity that you have to do instead of having that discipline to really listen. So the question was, um, you know, <laughs> back, back to the original point, is really about the art of listening both up upstream and downstream in the organisation and um, how important you feel it is um, for you personally as well as um, in your in your wider circles. Thanks Liz. Jim, can I pick that up? Yeah, yes, certainly. So yeah, so a few a few points on on there really. So um I, I think for anybody in a leadership role, and I, and, I, and I would absolutely always class a CISO as a leadership role, no matter where it sits in the organisation, it's, it's important not to be a broadcaster. Um, so it's it's handy to be a good orator. Um, but yeah, you, you absolutely probably need to be spending more time listening um, than questioning and then listening some more. Right. Um, I think I think that's that's really important. I, it, 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 it unfortunately isn't is a. Is a um, is a trade where you do it does tend to attract broadcasters, people that do um, like the sound of their own voice and, and and are very happy to offer their opinions. Um, but I think um, yeah, there, there's a key difference between broadcasting and a rating. Um, 
I, I think also there's a there's a key difference between listening versus hearing. Um, you know, so you, you may hear the words, um, but sometimes you need to listen for the message, and and and, and oftentimes. It, it it's a good idea to reflect on you know that person you know, almost kind of walk a mile in their shoes mentally um and listen to what listen to the words uh, and then then you may find the message i think that's that's a that's a that's a key to i i, I try that i'm, I'm you know I, i'm expressing like i'm an expert but uh, i know so there are some people that are very 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 good at that um and that's something i'm still trying to learn from them actually um, but but your, your point about downwards and upwards is, is is a really good one. So um, you know, in my experience, yeah, communicating downwards is is a great way of finding out where the bodies are buried. Um, yeah, if you've got if you've got a disarming nature, then it's uh, yeah, you sit down and you talk to people about their security concerns. It's almost like you've you, you've got the truth right out. A lot of people just fess up lo loads of stuff, and it's really really useful to you know understand where those bodies are buried. You may not be able to deal with all of them. Some of them may not be that significant uh, in the grand scheme of things, but they're things that you know need to find their way onto your um, yeah kind kind of uh, you know, risk landscape. Um, but I think also, also listening upwards, um, you know, which is the, the other the other aspect is where you're going to find out where the where the concerns are, um, and and some some of those concerns may be completely misplaced, uh, and and actually you know you, you can allay people's fears um, through you know a, a simple simple conversation, like a, a, an organisation I pre previously worked at, there there was a massive amount of paranoia about GDPR uh, data loss, um, they had very very little um, PII and almost no SPII, um, but they had massive gaps in their control framework where they were hugely open to destructive ransomware. Um, but the upper echelons were so, so concerned about G GDPR um, rather than destructive uh, ransomware. So, you know, so certainly un understanding those concerns, then a bit of education um, can get people focused in the right areas. Um, but again, um, you, you, you will also get a different perspective um, on cyber risk. Um, so again, listening to a business person's view on cyber risk, driven from an organizational perspective, driven from a revenue generating perspective, um, you know, that, that again is, is very useful. It, it may not necessarily change how you go about addressing, um, you know, the, 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 the cyber risks, um, but again, it, it's, it's useful information to have in your, your armory. I think one, one, of, um, one of my previous COOs um, always used to talk about, um, yeah, information, uh, you yeah, be, know, being a, being a currency, and the more information you have, the richer you are. Uh, and, and certainly, I think that's that's good advice for somebody that's uh, that's wearing the CISO badge. Thanks, Jim. Bromman, your thoughts? Um, yeah, I mean, great insights there. I was thinking information is currency as long as you're retaining it properly. <laughs> that's my GDPR gag for the day. Um, no, I think I think um, it, it, it's a, it, it's a great it's a great question, and I think Liz, you articulated the importance of listening so so well yourself. I mean, it's it's a key skill. Um, and I'm a bit of a chatter by nature, so I have to remind myself that I have two ears and one mouth and use them in that proportion. Um, but yeah, I think it's it's really essential, as Jim said, again, that, that, that listening up and down, but also outwards. Right. So I think, you know, uh, James referred earlier to the importance of kind of being threat led and understanding, you know, where our adversaries are moving. You know, those sort of outward um, relationships and keeping abreast of what's 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 happening around you is so important to make sure that we're taking the right actions to, to keep abreast of those threats um, and likewise I think you know the community support that we get as CISOs 
I'm really heartened. It's such a it's such a collective collaborative community, and I think nothing articulated that more clearly than the the industry's response to Log for J, which happened in December, and I'm sure caused a few a few late nights for folks on the call. Um, but it was amazing to see the the international community of CISOs rallying around, sharing insights, getting on top of you know the the the, the priority remediation activities. So I think that that listening outwards piece is is super important and 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 a great a great asset and 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 collateral to use. Thanks, Brahman. And James? Yeah, I, yeah, reiterating everything that's, that's said, we could probably have just an entire call where we all just agree with each other, I think. Um, <laughs> but I, I, I think uh, one of the interesting things about listening is sometimes you're being told what you want to hear or what they think you want to hear. So sometimes we have to ask the right questions to, to get the right responses. So uh, it's not just a case of, of listening, it's also a case of it asking the white open-ended because you don't want to put your words in their mouth uh questions to really get what their concerns are what their constraints are because if you understand the constraints before you start working with them to design a control then the control has much more likelihood of adoption and not causing friction with the business and and things like that um but you know when it comes to engaging with the business in a CISO role and listening and you mentioned earlier, Liz, like having all that knowledge, there's no way a single individual now, when there's so many specializations in cybersecurity, can know it, everything. I think CISO really has a framework and a strategy, and he should and she should always hire to outdo themselves. Hire smart people than yourselves. My job is as an enabler and putting the jigsaw puzzle pieces together and keeping the business kind of away from the operational teams right and and you know aligning that operational capability to the actual challenges that the business has because you ask your average SOC analyst he's not going to want to explain to a senior leader within the business how we're going to support some service that we're launching next year he wants to focus on reverse engineering malware you know that's the kind of thing that motivates them so I think, you know, being that important piece in the middle and that, that as Bombay said earlier, you know, that translation layer between that technical operational language of project and program language working with the PMO office and then the strategy of the business is, is really where we sit. And we need to listen to all of those. We, we know the average tenure of a SOC analyst is 12 to 24 months, right? They all leave, go somewhere else. We need to build the right culture to challenge them. So you need to listen to those reports there. You need to build career development and things like that. Um, we need to listen to our peers, as was said earlier. I think it's good that we're having forums like this where we're being open and honest about our maturity levels and the challenges we face, and also the excitement in, in the job as well. Um, and that's one reason, you know, I, I helped co-found B-Sides London is because we wanted to do that sharing, but the unfortunate thing is B-Sides London has become an entirely technical focused conference and no one's actually having the conversations about how that technology and hacking things and, and the offensive side of security actually helps solve the problem. Um, so I, I think you know, CISOs generally, you know, we shouldn't be technical experts anymore. We should be those the, the understanders of the domains, the understanders of the business and the glue that holds the whole thing together. Smaller orgs, you need to do more of the hands-on, um, you know, IT security director kind of a thing. But in the orgs we all work for, 
you know, um, definitely what you said, Liz, is, is what's needed. Thanks, James. Anything further to ask, Liz? No, I've been listening hard. All good advice. <laughs> no, it is um, it is really important and it kind of it fits in with what we've been talking about with the journey. Um, how do you get people on board? Um, how do you in, in, ensure that the business is part of the solution and own the solution um, rather than technology? All, all the four questions all are all part of the same family, really. That's great. Well, thank you very much. As I say, it's been uh, definitely very interesting to listen to you all uh, giving your points there. Um, For me, there's a bit of an elephant in the room. We kept, we kind of touched on it on on a on, on, a, on pr pretty much all of the answers, I think, um, which is the biggest challenge of being a CISO. Uh, and I think it sounds like Liz has kind of got it nailed, but I do think there are a lot of CISOs out there uh, where the biggest challenge is that they are perceived as being all things to all people. Um, you know, technical SME, IT strategist, technical and organisational transformationist, if there's such a word, trusted board, board advisor, business strategist, you know, all, all within the same organisation. Um, yeah, I, I, I know, Liz, you've you got this one nailed by the sounds of it, but I, but I do, yeah, if you look at um, the amount of stress that you'll see amongst CISOs, some of whom love it and they wear it as a badge of honour. Um, if you look at CISO tenures being you know, measured in in months rather than years in organisations, I, I do I do think that um, yeah that that yeah the the title of the podcast is challenges of being a CISO. I, I do think that is one of the biggest challenges is 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 being expected and uh, to be all things to all people. Um, but I, I I think you know James you, you kind of made the point. I think that's that we may be moving past that. Now and and I, and I know yeah kind of kind of looking at different organisations have taken different approaches um, with BSOs in in some some large organisations to kind of handle that uh, kind of business information security element. But I do think yeah that that for me is one of the biggest challenges that a lot of CISOs face at the moment is that unreasonable burden of expectation of of everythingness. But but Jim, can I ask the question? In some cases, have they not brought them on themselves? by going in and showing the standard presentation with newspaper headlines of competitors that have been breached and said, if you just give me this budget, I will stop this thing happening. I think oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. we brought that on ourselves. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yes. Yeah, no, I, I think I think absolutely that, that's the case. And as I said, yeah, a lot of people wear that that stress and I've done 14 hour days for the, you know, for, for the last five years, almost as a, as a bit of a badge of honor. Um, but I, but I do, you know, I, I do, you know, see CISOs burn, you know, suffering for burnout. Uh, I think it is quite a stressful job. So, yeah, may, may, maybe the challenge is, is, is not so much actually about that burden of expectation. That the challenge is maybe learning to manage your time, uh, learning to say no. Um, yeah, may, maybe that's that's one of the challenges of, of being a CISO, rather than you know working fourteen-hour days. Fantastic. Okay, good stuff. Well, uh, okay, we'll leave it there. So this has been the Evolution Exchange podcast. I want to take this opportunity to thank Bronwyn, Liz, James and Jim um, for providing their insights on the topic and thank you for listening. If you would like to be involved in any upcoming podcast, please reach out to me on LinkedIn or email me at robert.wallevolutionjobs.co.uk and we'll see you next time. Thank you.